Welcome to the Mike Litton Experience Podcast. Mike has over 31 years experience in real estate, finance, and investing. He's passionate about being a father, a teacher, a realtor, an investor, and a leader. Everyone has a story, and our passion is to help them tell it. And now, introducing the host of the Mike Litton Experience, Mike Litton. So what can you expect from the Mike Litton Experience? You can expect stories that will inspire, motivate, advice that will sharpen your focus, and expert information on real estate, finance, and market conditions. Alan Nevin, thank you so much for joining us for the Mike Litton Experience. This is your second episode. This is our second interview with you. Uh, we did your first one a couple of months ago where we talked about your life story. And we talked about a book that you had coming up called The Next Half Century. We also talked about your previous book, which changed my life, called The Great Divide. And so let's talk about, I know now that, that I know now um, that the, uh, the, the next half century is available, I had an opportunity, as I told you, to read it, and I'm absolutely fascinated by it. I, and I think I've told you this, I had a tough time going to sleep at night, the evenings that I was reading it, because it's really impactful. It is very, very exciting what you have found in your research about what the world's going to look like in 50 years. So with your permission, what we're going to do is we're going to start and just kind of go through each chapter and talk about the specifics of each one of those, if that's okay. That's sure. Okay. So the first chapter is As the World Turns. So let's talk a little bit about, well, actually, let's start with this. Is it okay if we if we talk a little bit about how you came up with the idea for the book? Oh, sure. Yeah, and the answer is it's a follow-on to my first one. Yeah, to The Great Divide. And a lot of the data in the new book results from the 2020 census. Okay. That wasn't around when I did my first book. And uh, some remarkable new statistics that uh, folks like the United Nations Research Division puts out, PEW uh, Research, mm -hmm. and there are a number of very highly qualified firms that put out projecting data. And now they're going out to a 2060, 2070. Mm -hmm. And the reason why there's uh, so much accuracy, shall we say, is when I'm looking at the next half century, almost all people are already born for the next half century. Right. So that makes you, sense. You know, we know, you know, they're they're here. They're born. We know they're going to go to work. We know what education they're going to have. And what it has allowed me to do is look into a number of countries that historically have been third world. Mm -hmm. And now I see that they're moving up towards second world. And that is wonderful for the United States because we're going to sell them goods. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> and, uh, 
that's really the uh, the crux of it. And advise them, right? We're going to be coaching them and advising them on how to on how to make that leap between the third and second world ranking. I'm, I'm glad you said that because statistics don't really show up. Another one when we have major accounting firms, financial firms providing services to those third world countries, it doesn't that doesn't show up anywhere. Yeah. And yet there are literally thousands of professionals providing services to the third world companies. Yeah, it's true. So one of the things that, that stuck out to me in chapter one was in the last three years, over a billion people have gained internet access. And in the next few years, another billion are going to gain internet access. That is just unreal. And it's it's happening. They don't have to guess. It's incredible. It really is. The uh, uh, the northern part of Africa is moving very, very fast. The countries in the northern part, uh, starting with Nigeria, which is very heavy in oil. Right. And uh, they're moving much faster than the southern part of Africa. And then there are just, you know, there are 190 countries in the world. Mm -hmm. And what is fascinating, at the end of World War II, there were only 50 countries. Yeah, that is fascinating. So now we have 190 countries all around the world. And a fairly high proportion of them are third world. But they want to move up. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and like you said, and I think you said this off camera last time, but, um, you know, they're, they are this, you know, billion that just got, just gained internet access and the billion that are going to, they use that internet access to watch YouTube, to, to listen to podcasts, to, you know, to, to get a feel for what life is like here. And so we become more of a magnet, as you've described before, we become more of a magnet for them in terms of they want to live here. And if they can't, they want to, they want a life or a quality of life that's similar to ours. Absolutely. And their education levels are moving up. Yeah. Well, it was a low start, but they, they are moving up and uh, they are um, sending a lot of folks to the first world countries to get educated. Yeah. And then they go back home and become leaders. Yeah, it's true. It's incredible. They find out a lot of the leaders that are out there have a have an American education, right? And they actually yeah. speak English better than just about anybody else in their country. You know, the, the, the uh, president of China, Xi Jinping, mm -hmm. uh, spent a year in the States and speaks English. Mm -hmm. And his daughter graduated Harvard. Yeah. Yeah. There's a lot of that going on. <laughs> so as the world turns, let's talk about the highlights of that chapter. Well, it's it's really a, uh, a look of what's been happening over the last half century or so. Yeah. It's fascinating. And, yeah, it's, uh, I, I would tell you, the, the next book, which is called America Tomorrow, 
I'm looking at the next 50 years of America. Yeah. And I'm gathering my research and I'm looking at the incredible things that we have done, not just we, but the first world countries have done uh, in in the uh, last half century. Um, and some things we haven't done. Mm -hmm. Remember, it's sort of interesting as a, for instance, transportation. We haven't improved transportation in the United States since 1970, which is when the first jet went into service. Hmm. Our, if our crane service has gone down, uh, we've hardly built any freeways and our airplanes and airports are more crowded than ever. Yeah. And the, the key here is that we are not getting places faster today than we did in 1970 when the first jet came into service. The jets... Yeah, it's still it's still five hours to cross the country uh, in a plane, and uh, we don't have high speed rail like Europe does. Right. Or and, Japan. I'm sorry. Or Japan. Or, or yeah, or many of the countries. Right. And our automobiles, the cars are certainly better. But we're not getting places faster. Hmm. <laughs> we're getting slower if you obviously ever tried to drive in Los Angeles. Yeah, I'm no kidding. Or Atlanta. <laughs> yeah. So home-to-work travel uh, hasn't improved yeah. in 50 years. So I'm looking forward to the next 50. And I think we're going to see things happen that we don't know about yet as yeah. a matter of fact that's cool so i'm excited about your next book I, I i had so much fun reading this one i can't even imagine what the next one's going to be like so let's talk about let's talk about the aging world demographics that was the yes. second chapter of your book yeah uh we're getting older yeah uh we're uh and that's all over the world we're getting Older. And we're not having we're not having children at the same that, time, right? You got it. And that's a big problem. Yeah, it is. Especially and, for China. We'll talk about them in yeah. a minute. But oh yeah, China and yeah. Korea. And uh to some degree the United States. Mm -hmm. And the key is that statistically speaking. A household has to have two kids. If mom and dad don't have two kids, your economy does not expand. Right. Period. Right. Now, you can overcome that with immigration. Mm -hmm. And we here in the United States, for instance, we bring in, and we, let me first we, we, bring a million people a year hmm. into the American system legally. 
Right. And we need another four to 500,000 people a year to get us up to that two kids per household. Hmm. Canada, a few years ago, put in a program where they are bringing in 400,000 people a year because they need that to hit their the magic two, if you will. Gotcha. And uh, they 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 uh they they are not letting in uh, retirees. Uh, they want young folks, and um, they uh they're getting them. Yeah. And they they help them get housing their first year. Um, have I lost you? No. I still have you. I don't have you. That is weird. <laughs> um, I have you on mic. I have. Um, this you come back. I'm gonna. I'm gonna zoom you in again. <laughs> Here you are. Okay. And is the camera on? Yes, sir. Okay. Here we are. Um, good. Any event. Um, there are several countries that are major economies but are not having kids and they are suffering. Yeah. China today is actually in a crisis situation. Mm -hmm. Over the next 40 years, they're going to lose over 200 million population because of the one-child policy Deng Xiaoping put in in 1980. Right. And then 30-some years later, they stopped it. But by that time, the damage had been done. Yeah, the curve. They passed the curve, so to speak. Yeah. Yeah, and they, they don't have enough young people getting married and having kids, which incidentally has had an amazingly negative effect on their housing market mm -hmm. um, and on their car sales. And they're in a um, difficult situation. Japan is in terrible shape. They are going to lose a quarter of their population in the next 40 years. Uh, their age of the people working there, they're, they're They've got a, they're keeping them over age 65 in the workforce. And the big problem with eight countries that are losing population is that no one wants to migrate there. Right. They're going the other way. They're coming here. Yeah. And the, the, the big problem, of course, is that the language barriers um, are very difficult. I mean, that. I think that you would have to learn not only how to speak Japanese, 
write it. Right. The same goes with Chinese or Korean or Vietnamese. So they come here. The learning is easy. Mm -hmm. And that's here. Yeah. And Great Britain and Australia. Um, and as a result of that, we're continuing to do okay. And the growth states in the nation, fortunately, are close to the border. Mm -hmm. So that uh, Arizona and Texas and Florida uh, continue to bring in enough people to make their economies really swing. Yeah. Well, the demographics are working for them. That's obvious. So let's talk about let's talk about a country that's having some real issues. And we're talking war dead. We're talking massive, massive migration away, leaving, right? Russia's in the middle of just a rough, rough time because all these people are leaving and a bunch of their people got killed in the in the Ukraine war. I mean, we're talking to half a million plus. Uh, we'll never get the real numbers. Yeah, I mean it's just it's just insane. Yeah. Uh, but you know, Russia lost twenty five million people in World War Two. Yeah, in the first year they had five million people, uh, soldiers, if you will, die. Yeah, and their fertility rate. It's very, very low. Mm -hmm. So they continually lose population. And their educated, young educated people are making a beeline for the border. Right. And you know, when you look at the border, uh, the uh, eastern border of Russia, they're sitting up against Estonia, Latvia, Lithuania, Finland. Mm -hmm. And they welcome the Russian-educated youngsters. And it's draining the Russian economy. All they have left is oil. You know, and, uh, I one of the things that I saw that 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 really really popped out at me, I had heard from the Ukrainians whether it's accurate or it's not, I'd heard from the Ukrainians that there were some 60,000 children that had been kidnapped by the Russians and they'd been they'd been taken back to Russia. And nobody in Ukraine knows where they are. Now I I've heard that. When I read this, now it yeah. starts to now it starts to click, right? All of a sudden, Putin's got to be in a place where he feels like he needs Ukraine. He needs the natural resources of Ukraine. He needs the population of Ukraine. He needs the rest of the so what used to be the Soviet bloc, right, in Eastern Europe. He needs that badly because of the fact that everybody's leaving. The people who are in the know, the people that figure out how to do this, are getting out of there. They're they're out of they're hightailing it. Yeah, I don't remember if I mentioned this in the book, but uh, Russia, being a huge grain producer, mm -hmm. doesn't have anybody 
the harvest, the grain, right? They bring in Chinese. Chinese, yeah. You mentioned it in the book. It's in the book. Yeah. Okay. So you have thousands of Chinese people coming into Russia to harvest the grain. Yeah. It's just sort of very interesting. Yeah. It's to say the least. It's fascinating. Your this entire book is fascinating. So the next chapter talks about China. And we talk about the changing China, the, the nation that's changing. Talk a little bit about that. Well, first of all, as I have noted, it's shrinking yeah. population. Um, they are, by the way, now starting to manufacture cars, electric cars, with American specifications, and they're going to be manufacturing them in Mexico. Wow. Because of the NAFTA agreement that allows them to go through Mexico into the United States. And they have designed some really neat looking cars. Yeah. And so they're going to start doing that because it, it's just you know anything they sell overseas is a net gain uh, in terms of their currency and the result is that they will be able to stabilize themselves where in the last 10 years they have been not only losing population but looking sales of goods, one of the things that they've not been able to do is put out goods as cheap as they once did. Right. And as a result of that, their shipping um, manufacturing to third world countries. And as I, I like to point out, the next time you go into Costco, go to the clothing section and look at labels. And you'll see that most of the goods there mm -hmm. are come from other from third world countries. Yeah. Hardly any of it comes from China anymore. Yeah, yeah, it's true. Yeah. Plus, the the other part is China has not really developed microprocessors that they need to be a first world country. Taiwan really owns that world. Yeah. Taiwan's that, an amazing little place. That makes them a real target for China. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, what we're doing is uh, we are bringing Taiwan over here and we are starting to develop uh, microprocessing. And President Biden um was able to get passed something over half a trillion dollars to invest in advanced microprocessing. Mm -hmm. And now we're seeing, for instance, on the north end of Phoenix, there's this enormous plant that uh, had 16 or 1,700 employees that were brought over from, from the Far East to work. 
Okay. No, not from China. From, from Taiwan and the other countries that have that knowledge. Right. Yeah. And now we're also seeing in the southeast United States a lot of manufacturing of high-tech goods. And that is not helping China in any way. Yeah. So yeah, we're around. Samsung has a $6 billion plant coming up? I'm sorry? Doesn't Samsung have a $6 billion chip plant coming up in yeah. or something? I, I read that recently. Yeah. I mean, that's just an amazing number. <clears throat> yeah. One of the things that's interesting is that a lot of these dollars that are going toward um, offshore industries, if you will, are winding up the states that have had um, bad times, yeah, like Ohio, Michigan, Illinois. Uh, the Rivian truck, which is selling very well, yeah, it's doing very well. Yeah, it, it's being made, a, manufactured, I think, in Missouri. Mm -hmm. So, um, a lot of these states that we're circling the drain. We're going to start coming back with new, the new, uh, new wave, if you will. Now, isn't Rivian in an old GM assembly plant? Yeah, exactly. well, I think they are in Missouri. Yeah. Yeah, no, they are. Yeah. So, um, so let's talk for a second. So, I I wanted to mention something to you. And I don't know if you saw this or not, but Gavin Newsom, our, our governor of California, last week was in China. And they, yes. put him, they put him in an SUV and he was driving this Chinese SUV around and he was remarking and bragging about how wonderful it was and all that. And it was amazing to me, and I'm probably going to get in trouble for saying this, but it was amazing to me how similar that SUV looked in terms of style to the Lexus GX that's coming out next year. Fascinating. It was just fascinating to me. Anyway, it looked very similar. <laughs> yeah. So let's talk for a second about India. India is the world's largest democracy, according to your book. And yeah. there are some interesting things going on in India. Well, India is doing their darndest yeah. to become a first world country. They're one, of the, they're one of those that's that's making that transition. Yeah, and they're, you know, they're not quite second world, but selectively, cities like Bombay, uh, Mumbai, mm -hmm. uh, New Delhi, uh, are uh, modern cities, mm -hmm. and they are doing a much better job now of educating their students. Yeah. And they have made a commitment to spend, I think it's 6% of their gross national product hmm. on advanced education. And they have an enormous number of very bright young people mm -hmm. who, those that having come here for universities, are going to universities now in India, yeah. 
and it's um, I will say it's a smart concrete to the extent that uh, their IQ level across the board is pretty much like ours is. And as a result of that, um, they are able to uh, get those college degrees and put them to work. Yeah. So India is going to move forward very steadily now. And uh, they continue to grow. They they're going to add another couple hundred million people in the next 50 years, which is sort of incredible. Yeah. But they will. And uh, they also have uh, normalized household formations. And they're moving up the, the chain. They have made such incredible headway in the last 30 years that it's just two different countries, if you will. Yeah. And they're friendly. Yeah, they really are. They really are. Uh, so the EU and Great Britain, an economic powerhouse. Yep. 28 countries. Mm -hmm. And all of them educated. Mm -hmm. They're all first world countries. One of the things that I find interesting is that here in the United States, our home ownership is about 65%. Mm -hmm. Most of their countries that are like in the 70s and 80% plus home ownership. So they are very stable yeah. from that standpoint. They're by and large very educated. Mm -hmm. There's a few countries that are lagging there, but most, for the most part, they are. And their only problem is they haven't been doing the two kids. Right. So uh, countries like Great Britain have been importing people now for a couple of decades. Yeah. Uh, very heavily from the uh, the Middle East, mm -hmm. and uh, you, you know, if you walk around London, you may not think that you're in England. Yeah. Um, <laughs> he, Is uh, the Prime Minister Indian? Or Prime Minister from the from the Middle yeah, East? He's a, yeah, partially, yeah. Yeah, he's yeah, Middle Eastern. Pretty pretty neat guy. Yeah, uh, but they. Um, uh, they have that to lean on. Some of the other countries haven't been as welcoming to foreign immigration, but need to be because yeah. you have a country like like Italy, which is really needs new people, but they're not sending a lot of folks in. It sounds like Germany does too. It sounds like Germany's needing to need to import more people. Yeah. Well, they. You know, they brought in a million people about 20 years ago, mm -hmm. and that has helped them keep their industries alive. And you know, they, they, for instance, China exports over a billion cars, a billion, excuse me, a billion dollars in cars to China every year. 
So they've got to keep that machine going yeah. in Germany. And they are, um, they're not quite workaholic, but they put out the goods. Yeah. And the, the quality of their goods is about the highest in the world. They're about the hardest working Europeans out there, aren't they? I think so. Yeah. I'm, you know, I can't I mean, measure it. Yeah. But just the end. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, certainly. Um, Anecdotally, I guess. Yeah. Well, I mean, we, I mean certainly France and Italy uh, aren't really that hard workers. Right. Or, by the way, don't produce a lot. Yeah. You know, if you, you ask me, you know, what do we import from France? Perfume doesn't count. <laughs> I, I guess I don't, basically I don't not a lot. <laughs> not. And Italy's the same way. Yeah. Uh, we there's almost nothing we import yeah. from Italy or from Spain or from Portugal. They just are not producing as much as they should. Yeah. Um, hard so to do that. Answer, hard to do that when hmm? you every day, you know. Yeah. So the reality is that Europe, 28 countries, will continue to lose population. And, you know, they still got a lot of people there. Yeah. So they're not, not going to dry up and blow away, but they're not going to have the robust growth that they would like to have. Gotcha. So let's talk about our favorite state where you and I are actually now, right now, and where we live, California. California. Yeah. I, I'm not joking when I tell you this. I learned so much in this book. My head hurt. My brain hurt. And one of the things that I learned about California was the VC investment here and how people that are in the lower echelon as far as income and also in education are leaving the state, but the people that have MBAs and PhDs are coming here in droves. Like this top grading kind of thing happening. Yeah. Including, of course, the foreign market that's moving here. Yeah, I, I don't remember if I put it in the book, but I have an exhibit that shows the percent of population that is foreign born. Yeah, it's in there. In yeah. the various states yeah. and metropolitan areas and the Silicon Valley, mm -hmm. almost half of the entire population is foreign born. Yeah. And you were talking about in the indigenous population of California. You want to touch on that? Um, yeah, I'm sorry. You were talking in in your book. You talked about the growth of the indigenous population in California. Um, I don't think I used that word, did I? I think you did. I, I didn't think I did. I think I uh, but the uh, no the uh, the foreign foreign population here uh, is enormous a combination of coming from the Far East and um, really the uh, South American countries 
And as a result of that, California is doing pretty well. We have the same population as Canada. Yeah. No, it's it's not like you write us off. We're we're going great. And when you look at our gross domestic product, mm-hmm. GDP, right? Uh, California's we're we're almost we're getting there. We're fifth largest country in the world. Yeah, we're almost and, number four, right? Yeah, I I'm betting within the next ten years we become number four. Yeah. And the the answer for that is that the goods that we manufacture tend to be very expensive and very um, sophisticated. Right. So when you look at even just take San Diego and take a look at the life sciences industries here, Mm -hmm. it's truly remarkable. Yeah. what comes out of here. And those industries pay exceptionally well. Yeah. Um, you know, if you go online, go to, go to Google, Apple, look at the jobs that are available. There's almost nothing under 100000 a year. Mm-hmm. And most of them are like 150 a year. Yeah. And then I look you know, here in San Diego, Apple, about two years ago, bought about a half a million square feet of space in Rancho Bernardo. Yeah. And they're going to bring in thousands of, of workers. Yeah, they're planning to have 6,000 here by yeah. 26. Yeah, so it's pretty amazing. And when I, I look at the Silicon Valley, um, between that and Orange County and San Diego, these are very healthy communities. Yeah. And if anything, your only problem is they need a lot more blue collar workers. Yeah. And, you know, we've not really opened the fence enough. Well, it's tough. You know, when you, when you start looking at, bringing in blue collar workers and you start looking at how much it costs to live here in California versus a Florida or a Texas. And I live, you know, full disclosure, I lived in, in, and worked in Florida for nine months. And there is a distinct difference because there's no state income tax and there's much less in the way of gas tax, that kind of thing. There is a distinct difference in terms of the cost of living. Property taxes are higher. That's true. Um, Food costs are higher. That is true. But when you start looking at the total cost of living, Florida versus California, there's a dramatic difference. Very dramatic. It's harder to live here. It really is, especially when you're talking blue-collar type employment. Yeah, and we have done an abysmal job of supplying housing. Yeah, I agree. And the state is trying. They have recently passed four bills that make it easier to build here, but it's not there yet. As as Governor Newsom has uh, stated, he'd like us to see putting out 300,000 homes a year here, and the reality is 
we barely can do a hundred thousand. Yeah. And the uh, the state is taking a uh, very aggressive stand on forcing metropolitan areas to develop housing. Yeah. And perhaps the one of the things, maybe the most important thing that has kept us from building affordable attached housing, townhomes, and vertical construction, is there a 10-year statute of liability? So developers don't want to take a chance of being sued. Yeah. And you go to a place like Florida, and it's a five-year, Arizona five-year. So our builders certainly know how to build, but they're just afraid of getting sued. Well, they're disincentivized. That's really the honest honest truth. I mean, I'm I've been in the building industry for a long time. So, you know, and I and you and I know you have too. I know that I know um the way I initially met you was you were doing um bull and bear every January and you were always our bull. And I just love I just love that about you. Um and you changed my life. You and I I think I shared this with you <clears throat> January of 2000. You and the bear actually agreed. Don, Don Bowder. Yeah, you agreed on one thing. One thing. And you hadn't agreed on anything before that. I mean, you wouldn't even agree on the, the color of the sky, the two of you. But you agreed on this, and that was that we were running out of permittable land in San Diego County. And I was 100% builder. Every single thing I had in terms of income was 100% builder. I didn't have anything else coming in. That I was that I was bringing in in terms of business that wasn't builder, and I got a chill from the top of my head to the bottom of my feet. And I walked out of that room that day after listening to you and Don. I walked out of that room that day with made, having having made a decision that I needed to diversify. And within twelve months, I owned a Keller Williams franchise in Escondido, which Great. which got me diversified. Does that make sense? So it was, that was a big deal because I had a baby at home that was getting ready to turn two. I had one on the way that was going to arrive June 16th, as it turned out of 2000, right? They're now 25 and 23 years old. Okay. Um, But back then I was the sole support for my family. That was the agreement my wife and I had was I would work. She would stay home with the kids. We didn't want nannies or daycare people, you know, taking care of raising our kids. We wanted her raising them. So, and, you know, so I knew I had to make some changes and I did. I walked out of that room with an absolute decision and it changed my life. Absolutely did for the better. So one thing I wanted to mention to you only because you mentioned Google and it made me think of it. I meant, I wanted to to mention something to you and I was actually going to do it off camera, but I might as well put it on the podcast. You know how we do your life story? And we got together with you um, a couple of months ago and did your life story. And you had did your you had done your undergrad with Maryland and you had gone to Stanford and 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 earned an MBA. Do you know who else did that? Oh, <laughs> co-founder of Google. Uh-huh. You and Sergey Brin have the same educational pedigree. Isn't that something? Okay. <laughs> He's so fairly connected. well for himself. I, uh, yeah. That's something. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So, anyway, 
So I just find that stuff, you know, I find that fascinating. Yeah. The yeah. Stuff that, the things that connect us. So yeah. next up is Texas. I love Texas. All my life growing up in Oklahoma, I wanted to live in Texas. My parents ended up moving us into, in, in 1980 out to California and never left, right? Been out here 43 years. But Texas is one of my favorite places in the world. And according to your book, Texas is on fire. They're getting after it. Yep. They are so pro-business yeah. that they basically don't have any competition in the United States. Yeah. Uh, just sort of amazing. Uh, their, their whole government structure is aimed at economic growth. Yeah. And, and if also you... pro-builder. Oh, goodness, yes. And we actually, you, you remember Corey, you remember uh, McMillan, right? Cody McMillan. So, so McMillan moved after after he passed away. Co um, McMillan moved, the family did, to San Antonio. So we're, we're losing builders, big builders in San Diego and yeah. in California, period, to Texas and Florida. Well, you know, the, the other thing with, with Texas is that they do have land. Yeah. And California could could go to school on how to be more pro-builder from Texas and Florida. Well, that wouldn't take much. Yeah. Uh, but uh, Texas has uh, struck a governmental structure that is aimed at economic growth. Mm-hmm. And I've I've been tracking Texas. I've been working there, wow, since the early seventies, mm -hmm. and I've just watched this massive explosion. And yet, they have accomplished that explosion of economic growth without housing prices going crazy. Yeah. It's still a really cheap place live and you know they pretty much do everything right mm -hmm. well, obviously I don't like their politics at the moment but things change and you know I, it's sort of interesting when you look at even places like El Paso which is not one of my favorite cities that's ranked the number one safest city in the United States um, wow. and, and a lot of that has to do with the fact that it's very heavily military. Yeah. They have, I think, four military, four Air Force bases here, Kelly and the three other ones. So it, it's a very, very um, good place to raise kids. And they're doing very well. Quite fun. Um, Dallas and Houston. Amazingly strong. Austin is just terrific. Mm -hmm. Incidentally, um, Austin, I uh, I scoured that city looking for homeless, and I walked all the streets of down literally all the streets of downtown Austin, 
never saw homeless. Hmm. And that's, there's a lot cost them. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they, they've cleaned it up quite a bit, that's for sure. Yeah, I, I'm I'm a big fan of Texas, as you can tell. Yeah. So the next chapter is on the South Atlantic states, and the South yeah. is rising again, you indicate in your book? And it is. <laughs> it's it exciting. Is. They are among all things non-union. Yeah. And that has allowed them to continue to grow. Um, about 10 years ago, Boeing moved to South Carolina, manufactured their 757, yeah. 10,000 jobs, picked up in Seattle and went to South Carolina. Yeah. And I'm Alabama, I'm hearing amazing things about. Their problem is their education level is so low. They really can't attract um, firms that require uh, a great deal of skill. Okay. Uh, same with Louisiana. But North Carolina, South Carolina, Georgia, and Florida, they have their act together. Yeah. And their education, I mean, North Carolina, and um, you have two or three other major universities of North Carolina. Uh, they are really on a roll in terms of higher education. Wake Forest. And some of that is they're bringing in the jobs. Mm-hmm. The largest industrial park in the United States is in North Carolina. Wow. And it was started back in the 1980s. Hmm. And it, it's really, when you you see aerial photos of it, it's really fairly amazing what they've done. And then South Carolina, which doesn't get much attention, has become a mecca for automotive manufacturing. Parts, a lot of parts. Mm-hmm. They're doing very well. And then Georgia has so many great headquarter firms. Obviously, Pope, uh, Home Depot, right, and many others. They are they are really a powerhouse. They have, I think, the number one of the top three airports in the nation. Um, pretty sure that they're they're compete against Dallas and Chicago, yeah. but I, uh, I they're they're right up there. Yeah, I had heard and, that. I had heard that Atlanta is Atlanta's airport is one of the busiest in the world. Yeah, it's huge, yeah. and it works. And so the, uh, the people yeah. there work, and they really put out the goods. And the result of that is their economy is just doing terrific. Yeah, they seem to be. And their home prices are reasonable. Yeah. Rational. Absolutely amazing. Yeah. And then there's Florida. I like to pick on Florida. <laughs> I don't know why anybody wants to live there. The humidity. Yeah. The, uh, the floods, the hurricanes. Um, 
but it keeps on growing. Because everybody in New York who retires moves to Florida. A lot of them. And the homes are down there. Mm -hmm. Admittedly, if you want to live near the ocean, the home prices there. Uh, I, If you look in the New York Times Sunday Magazine, mm -hmm. you'll see ads for these spectacular high-rise luxury projects on the ocean with units selling for five, six, seven million, and they sell off. Yeah. And um, I like to tell the story of if you are wealthy and you want a second home, if you're from the Far East, the odds are you're going to be drawn to San Diego. Yeah. Okay. If you're from Europe or the Mideast, you go to Florida. Yeah. And they have been able to continue to grow. They have also built, by the way, a very good university system. Mm -hmm. uh, 20 years ago, it was dismal. Yeah. But the University of Florida, University of Central Florida. South Florida. They're doing, yeah, they're doing very, very well. And their labor is cheap. Mm -hmm. So they're getting the kind of jobs hire cheap labor. Yeah. However, their education level and the sciences is not such. Scripps Research wanted to open, they did open a major branch in Florida. Mm -hmm. And it has not done well. Hmm. They don't have enough people with scientific backgrounds to feed the kind of industry that we here in California take for granted. Yeah. So the state really survives on growth. Yeah. That's their number one industry. Yeah, well, the Tampa, area, the Tampa area where I was selling new homes was perennially in the top four in job growth nationwide every year. I mean, it was, if not one, yeah. we're in the top four. No, they put out a, a lot of good housing. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, if, if you can tolerate the climate, it's not a bad place to be. Yeah. Well, you know, it's there. People talk about the humidity and the heat and all that. I played a round of golf in as hot as it gets. I mean, as, as hot as it gets in the heat in the hot in the hot season. And I didn't have any pain. For the first time in 20 years, I played around the golf and my back didn't hurt. So there, there are, there are advantages. And I mean, my joints felt oily, the whole thing. There are advantages to that heat and humidity um, that some people, some people don't quite grasp, you know? Um, but if you, if you go out there and you play, you know, a sport that you've played all your life and, and in the last 20 years, it hurt to play it in California and you go out there and you don't feel any pain. That's a real attraction. Pretty amazing. Yeah, it's a real. I've not heard. I've never heard that. Yeah. Well, um, I, I, you know, I've mentioned it to a few people, and 
they actually agreed with me. There's a lot of people that go out there and they, they feel better exercising. They feel better moving around when they're older like me, because, you know, mm-hmm. they, you know, you've got all this scar tissue and arthritis and all this other stuff. For some people, your body just feels better in that humidity. It's not, it's not ideal. I mean, it's not the best thing, yeah. but, yeah. but it does, it does help. So you can be more active. A lot of people I've talked to are more active out there than they are here. So, Hmm. yeah. No, the other thing that that, that's really uh, helped Florida sell very high-priced condominiums is that Florida is an eight-hour nonstop from Brazil. Yeah, and there are many high-rise luxury projects in Miami where everyone there is Brazilian. Mm-hmm. And when you go out, when you shop, looking for condos up and down the coast, you'll see that a large percentage of the salespeople are Brazilian. So it's... Uh, an interesting place and it'll keep on growing but without me (laughs) i got you (laughs) okay so the next chapter is about climate change yeah um i have two good friends who are uh immersed in the study of climate and they basically caused me to write that chapter. <laughs> I, I did not have that chapter in my book. Really? And I started doing research and I realized what a disaster the climate is and what's happened even in the last 10 years. Yeah. When you look at, for instance, the Midwest, the number of tornadoes has just been remarkable. And then the flooding, I mean, Louisiana has been completely wiped out. And the west coast of Florida, last big one a couple of years ago, pretty much did in a lot of condos there. Mm -hmm. For Fort Myers area, that kind of thing, yeah. That was a did a lot of damage. Yeah, and then Canada, which we don't think of in terms of fires and floods and the like. This last year has just been a horror story. Mm-hmm. Canadians. So the climate change is real. Yeah. And we're not doing a lot on Senate. You know, we have some solar roofs and that's nice. But solar roofs, if you're living in in Illinois, you know, there's not a, you get six months a year and the solar doesn't even work. Right. Because okay. it's, it's overcast, let's be honest. Okay. Yeah. It is. And we have basically done a, a fairly dismal job of uh, helping uh, the future air quality. Um, yeah, we're, I think, um, I think percent of, Electric cars is up to like, and the new car sales is up to like 12%. Uh, something, but it, 
it's just not there. Um, So um, it's really something that the government has to take charge of. And they have not been willing to do that. They pretty much ignored climate change. And that has to change. It's just that simple. Yeah, I agree with that. So the last chapter in your book is the U.S. as a world economic power. Absolutely. That chapter is the introduction to my next book. Yeah? Yeah. The reality is that we really have it all. Yeah. No one comes even remotely close to what we offer the world. And not just jobs, but the entire lifestyle of America is obviously very appealing to a lot of folks who'd like to live live here and move here. And it's going to continue. And we will continue to generate employment that is appropriate educated people mm-hmm. and our growth will um, not be stable in terms of geography to the extent there will be a number of states as in the southeast United States which will move up to change and places like Arizona New Mexico will gradually uh, move into a manufacturing position where they can put out the goods and still have amazing universities in this country. I was just in Boston last month. They had 34 universities in Boston. You know, not the least of which is Harvard, right. Harvard and MIT, but they have numerous. And New York, Chicago, and certainly California have an amazing number of really good universities. Yeah. And that is highly appealing. Absolutely. And take a, a school like Stanford, if Stanford wants you, and your parents don't earn a hundred thousand a year, you got a free ride. Complete. Really? I didn't know that. That's now, fascinating. It's uh, remarkable. And frankly, the University of California school system is pretty remarkable. Yeah, I'd agree with and, that. It's really cheap. I mean, you can go to San Diego State, very good university. Mm-hmm. It's fourteen thousand a year uh, compared to uh, eighty at Harvard mm-hmm. or MIT. So California has really done a great job of creating 
an educational system um, that results in the kind of industry that we have. Yeah. So the next here and the other states I talk about uh, will almost guarantee that America stays on top of the heap for the next half century. That's what it sounds like. One of only thing we have to do is bring in people to do this. Right. And fortunately, that hasn't been a popular thing to do. Yeah. But we have to do it. Or my kids are not gonna cut lawns or fix hamburgers at McDonald's. That's not gonna happen. We have to bring in folks from other countries who will do those kind of jobs. And little by little, it's happening. And the other thing, of course, is when I look at all the things we're creating, a lot of them are automating a lot of the things we do. Mm -hmm. So that, that's helping ease somewhat. I'm still not enthralled with artificial intelligence, um, but that'll be put to good use eventually. Uh, so overall, the United States is really an amazingly good condition. And we just have to bring in more people to do the work uh, at the end of the scale, keep our education systems growing. Mm -hmm. And in a state like California, we got to reduce some housing. Yeah, a lot of housing. And a lot of housing. And I can tell you that we can do it. Yeah. Um, I was part of a group that wrote a paper two years ago that shows what happens if a city takes their vacant land and lets builders build it, but don't charge for the land and don't put the fees in, put them into a second tier position and the people when they go to sell their home, maybe 10 years down the road, that's when they pay off. And it works. Yeah. And you can drop the home prices uh, almost 40% hmm. just by doing that. And we have plenty of land. Yeah. We really do. It's not a problem. We just have to use it. We just there just has to be some governments that have the gut to do it. Yeah. Yeah, I'd agree with that. Okay. So the name of the book is The Next Half Century, and it is an amazing read. If you don't mind, show us the show us the cover of what it looks like. There you go. Congratulations on your new book. You did an amazing job. I expected that you would. 
but this this book was very very hard for me to put down i hung on every word and i thoroughly enjoyed it and i know anybody that's listening will enjoy it too i know for a fact they will and then you're working on a new book that's coming out in about a year a little less than a year right and what's it going to be called america tomorrow yeah so america the next half century right yep okay Awesome. All right. So this is a beginning of a series that we're going to be doing with you of podcasts where we're going to be talking about economy, demographics. We're going to be talking about a lot of things. And we're super excited to do that. And thank you. Thank you in advance for agreeing to do this. Um, I really, really appreciate you. And I um, I appreciate our friendship more than you know. So I appreciate that. Thank, thank you. you so much, Alan. And congratulations again on your book. And thank you for joining us on the Mike Litton Experience. My pleasure. I appreciate it. Thanks, you, Mike. Have a good weekend. You too. Bye. We hope you enjoyed another episode of the Mike Litton Experience. If you did, do us a favor. Smash that subscribe button. Tell your friends, family, and coworkers about our program. And wherever you get your podcasts, please leave us a rating. It helps us to connect with quality people just like you. And that's a wrap. Another episode of the Mike Litton Experience in the books. Reach out to Mike on Instagram at Litton Realty. Want to meet with Mike? Check out calendly.com slash Rio 760.